we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, well, let's just face it, Krebs is gone. He decided to take off. He's on. He's in the middle of no man's land. Well, not really. He's at Lake Tahoe, but we're just going to call it no man's land because it's in the middle of two states. And who wants to go to Tahoe this time of year? Maybe in the summer, but that's besides the point. Anyways, we're going to talk about something else other than Krebs being in Tahoe because I'm going to say that over and over so that when he listens to this episode, he's going to feel guilty. Man, I was in Tahoe. Why was I in Tahoe and not on this show with us? being epic and awesome right to be clear the backup plan for this episode was just to talk about how great krebs was and how much we loved him and all of his accomplishments and how we met him but no now that now that dude's just out in the mountains next to a beautiful lake i know and i just don't feel like it anymore yeah i mean we love krebs but seriously (laughs) also you're the worst yeah but we love you but you're the worst and you didn't invite alternate or i what the heck man what the heck? I, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think either of us could have really come this week anyway. But that's not the point. The point is that we were not invited, which means exactly. that we are not recording this from a you know a lakeside chalet in uh, Lake Tahoe. That, that would have been amazing. We could have done the show, you yeah. know, on the spot in Tahoe, and he could. Have, <laughs> it would have been amazing. Okay. Anyway. Okay. There I, I will be there will be another day where we do an offsite. It'll be awesome. Yes, we need to do an offsite at Disneyland. So mm. those wonderful folks in Disneyland that are listening right now, how do we make that happen? You should contact us. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> Let's get to the show. Uh, so we, we've been batting around some ideas, and the idea of, of tonight's show, and we're going to be talking about, is next addic- edition games. Not addiction. Next edition games. I, I know it mm. almost sounded like that. But uh, yes, tabletop rpgs are maybe an addiction of mine i may have more than a few books uh, and i may have some friends that have said hey i'm not going to move you anymore because of the number of books i have um but most recently the big announcements is is dungeons and dragons has announced that they're going to be releasing 5.5 it's not a full version it's it's a half version we've seen it before with third edition they put out a 3.5 and that came with a lot of changes and updates to rules because you know, they found some things weren't, weren't quite right. I do find this very interesting because yeah. back when they announced 5th edition, Wizards made this big, bold announcement that they would never make another edition again. They would be making updates by putting out new, you know, expansion books, which we have seen. You know, it was, they were going to turn D&D into like DLCs. You know, here's the main game. And if you want any extra content here's a dlc that you can pick and choose you don't need them but if you want this as part of your game you got to go out and buy that dlc or that book now they're coming out with five five not quite a new system so they're still kind of quote unquote keeping to that but we eventually know what's going to happen is this is going to run its course for let's say another two three maybe five years we're going to see a sixth edition. I mean, it's just inevitable. I, I don't know that I entirely agree with that, though I do agree with the uh, sardonicism and a and, uh, little bit of mistrust towards Hasbro not being willing to line their pockets once they decide there's enough text on the page already. Yeah. Um, but that's its own separate conversation that we'll get to when we get to. But, uh, you know, the, the, the reality is that fifth edition in its current incarnation has actually had really long legs for an rpg um it's been doing really well it's hung around for a long time it's been extremely stable the community is really loving it um but i i do hope that this is two fifth edition what 3.5 was to 3.0 um and by the way for all of you who might be out there trying to search it on the internet this was an announcement that came at D&D Celebration a number of weeks back, and they are not calling it 5.5. They've just said something is coming in 2024 that is not a replacement for the for fifth edition, but a modernization, a streamlining that updates all the main books and brings content into one place. And that's kind of what we saw when 3.5 released with yeah. third edition. Um, at first, everybody was really, really skeptical because it felt like they were just printing errata into a book and that was it. Mm -hmm. And I will say 
for maybe 85 to 90% of the content that exists in the core rule book, the DMG and the monster manual for 3.0 versus 3.5, it's the same, but the, the same or just updated wording, slight errata, yeah. things like that. But the remaining five to 15%, depending on who you ask, was actually rules that came in from expansion books that were strong enough that they felt it warranted being a part of the core experience for new players. And I think that fifth edition is starting to get deep enough where that's going to be a big deal. Well, it, it's gotta be, I mean, look at all the different books they put out and the various character classes that aren't officially part of the core system. And there's a lot of really cool character classes that I'm sure people want and they want that as part of the core books. They don't want to buy these extra books. They just want the core system. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of that. Um, yeah. Plus, there's been a lot of changes um, in the worlds as it is. I mean, because it has been open source, there's a lot of outside books you can pick up for fifth edition. Um, but there are have been a lot of weird changes, I'll admit. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, the weirdest changes in, in the, I think it's the Faylight or whatever that new, the, the new Fay book was, mm -hmm. they changed uh, how some of these NPCs are, uh, where instead of actually casting spells, they have an action that is like a spell. Um, so it's like a fire, it's like a fireball, but it's an action. Well, now counter spells don't work because a counter spell only works against the spell. Now it's an action. Um, so how is that going to be affected? Uh, so there's a lot of unique changes they put into play, which I wonder what will show up into the system. Uh, yeah. We'll see new character classes. Will we see modified uh, rule sets? Um, will we see some stuff that some of the, you know, some of the uh, you know, players, you know, us, the everyday user of the game have sent in and said, hey, this works a little bit better. This is how we've been running it. And I know they took a lot of feedback when they did fifth edition um, mm. from players, um, which is probably why fifth edition is works so well. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, I am curious, but at the same time, I'm really skeptical. So I definitely want to talk about some of the features that we'd like to see come back or change or evolve, get eroded, get added right to that core content. Um, but I do think that there's kind of a side quest that we should have first, which is talking about why do role-playing systems need updates and new additions and what is the best timing and what is the best ways that we have seen those types of transitions happen in the past. A great example of an unnecessary transition, which is also one of the reasons that 5.5 or whatever we end up calling it has a lot of uh, uh, expectations is that the transition from 3.5 to 4.0 in D&D was really, really rocky, kind of a little awkwardly timed, really rushed, done without a lot of input from players and the players from which they did receive input, it, it changed the face of what D&D was in, in a really big way. Some things for the better, but many things taking it far away from, from the core of it. It's the only reason that Pathfinder exists, um, which is a really weird thing that, that that was such a divisive thing that it actively and actually spawned an entirely new franchise that gave D&D a run for its money and honestly still does pretty well. The creators of Pathfinder, most of them, actually were members of Wizards staff who had worked on 3.0 and 3.5 and Wizards held a meeting saying, we want to launch this new edition. And the, the rumor has, the rumor is that many of the designers were pretty split on whether it should be done and whether it was time to do it, if nothing else. And supposedly there was basically a big meeting where they took a vote and the room was split fairly cleanly and management said, we're going with fourth edition. So a whole bunch of those designers got together, started working with each other and with a number of members of the community who'd already been producing things like terrain and battle maps and things like that and spawned Pathfinder, colloquially known as 3.75. Yeah. Um, and so... There's, there's high expectations on whatever this reincarnation of fifth edition is, but there's also some 
tenuousness within the community of, is it the right time? Is it the right thing? Dan, you've been around for a long time. I mean, you're freaking ancient by this point. You've seen a million books and a million editions come and go. You were probably there when Gygax first rolled a rock, you know, so. I'm not that old, but I've been (laughs) in for over 30 years. Um, So so talk about some of the transitions that you have seen in the RPGs that you've played and, and what worked well and what didn't, what stands out in your memory? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I first started playing in second edition, you know, AD&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that system. I know a lot of people don't because you, you had to do math. It was, you know, you, you're going down to zero and you, you had minus numbers and people just, they hated it. Uh, some have people, you ever asked Tracy about Thacko? Uh, I have not, but I love Thacko. Man, okay. I loved the Thacko. And it was so cool to say and, you know, to hit armor class zero, that's, yeah. Um, so, spoiler for the audience, we're lining up an upcoming interview with Tracy about his Kickstarter that's going yes, on right now. So, week. I do want to make sure to save that question for you specifically to ask Dan of, are you bringing back Thacko or an alternative to Thacko? Just, let's right. just see what comes out of his mouth. All right, we, we will do so. <laughs> but, you know, and then third edition came along. I, I was really like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because most of my life, up to that point, I had played second edition because that was the only version that was available. Moving to second ed- or the third from second edition to third edition, my players loved it. I wasn't as sold on it as I wanted to be, but I eventually moved to it and stayed there. Then 3.5 came out. All right, updated some rules. I was good. Fourth edition, I hated. The change to fourth edition, uh, it was just not for me. What, what what was it that like made that such a painful transition to you? Um, I just didn't like the the game mechanics. I didn't like how the game ran. Um, there was so much that I felt was removed from the game in their attempt to streamline it and entice, you know, like World of Warcraft or Ever or, or EverQuest uh, players, you know, the people that were playing those MMORPGs. For them, mm-hmm. it probably was a very easy transition for them. But for me to go from something where I could build a character and know all about it, um, you know, and have the fun of building this wonderful character that I could role play with, that I could really have fun with in a storytelling environment, fourth edition felt like it was number crunching. I'm running into a cave. I'm bashing everything with a stick. I'm coming out. Hooray, I won. I'm on to the next thing. It never felt like it was an environment to role play and enjoy the story and enjoy the environment. Um, I think I can agree with that. Fourth edition had a lot more play around miniatures and battle tactics and focusing on those types of combat encounters. Um, And and I, I think you hit on a very important point there, which is probably one of the hallmarks of when it might be time to consider a new edition for good or for ill, right? Wizards wanted to reach two audiences that they had kind of neglected in third edition. The first being um, traditional tabletop war gamers, because that's kind of what first edition was. And second edition, while it definitely moved way closer, farther into role-playing, still had a little bit of crunchy number crunchiness to it, like you were mentioning with Thacko and others. Um, but third and 3.5 really was much more designed around building and leveling characters. Um, fourth edition, they tried to recapture some of that tabletop strategy audience. The other audience that you mentioned that they were looking for was MMORPGs, which up until that point, hadn't really existed in the mainstream um and so seeing a new audience and a new opportunity to bring people into the fold they may have just swung the pendulum a little too far mechanically away from their core audience generally does that kind of jive with how you were feeling at that time yeah no that's exactly so then what was the thing that was the change between that and fifth edition that makes fifth edition palatable to you so going from fourth to fifth, um, I, you know, me and a couple other guys that were on the show got to participate in a lot of the beta testing. Um, we were at Gen Con, we played it there. We, you know, we talked to the people at Wizards and we got to participate in that. So we had 
So I had, you know, me and my, the other guys that were on the show had, had a, a voice I felt like, and it, it, so did many other players. And I mm-hmm. really think they made the right decision by going to the people that play. Um, okay. They, they realized fourth, you know, and even talking to some of them realized fourth edition wasn't a good choice. And so they came to the players to find out what would work best. You know, they're still a business. They're still designing their mechanics, but I felt like their key job and the key thing they were focusing on was bringing storytelling back, bringing back the fun and bringing back role-playing instead of it being, you know, a club, you know, a stick basher, you know, we're going in, we're, we're stomping on everything and coming back out. Mm-hmm. Um, it became less of a board game and more of a role-playing game, really. Um, yes, it still has its quirks. Yes, it still has some issues, but every system out there does. Um, and so I feel like they brought back some of the fun, some of the fun components from second edition, some of the fun components from third edition. And some of the things, I, you know, I will admit, there were some things that did work in fourth. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough for me. Um, so I feel like they, they went back and looked at those things and brought those things together and brought it into fifth edition to make a good game. Yeah. I mean, and, and right there, I think you've identified kind of the second critical sign that it might be time for a new edition of your game, which is if your audience reaction has been very negative and consistently negative and has remained negative, even with enough time for people to actually try the system, you know, at any time that an enfranchised audience tries something new, there's going to be a negative reaction up front. There just is. Change is hard. It's scary. It's weird. And it and and just like trying a new brand of ice cream, it tastes a little weird in your mouth the first time you have it, right? Yeah. Um, but if your system's changes are worthwhile over time, those will go away and they'll be replaced by an appreciation for what is. Um, even though there will always be people who love older editions, absolutely. And, and things that you can only get by playing second edition or third edition or 3.5. Um, overall, the acceptance goes up with time and the appreciation of this is what is different that makes it good. With fourth edition, even though there are players who absolutely love it for a few critical reasons, my personal experience has been after having spoken with literally thousands of role players and the last decade, the majority of the people who enjoy fourth edition were people who started playing in fourth edition and never played anything before it. Um, And the other thing is that in all of the instances that I can think of, with the exception of one, when fifth edition came out, all of those players saw it as a massive improvement. It felt like it was returning them to the core things that they did find enjoyable in fourth edition and expanding back into the wider world of role-playing games. Yeah, I mean, people that start in fourth edition, uh, of course, they're going to like it. That's their only experience with it. And I don't, you know, slight them in the least. That's, yeah. you know, if that's what you started and that's what you started. It's no different than people, you know, Star Wars fans, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I started uh, with the original trilogy. I know McKay that used to be on the show long ago. His first experience with Star Wars was the prequels. And he, lo- he says those are better than any other Star Wars movies out there. I don't agree, but, it, you know, again, that's where we started. It's just like, you know, Doctor Who fans. Who's your favorite doctor? More often than not, your favorite doctor is the first do- doctor you saw, you know, in the series. And mm-hmm. then you, you start seeing the other ones. And, that, and I find that to be true. More often than not, that's, you know, where you start is what becomes your favorite because that you have a, an emotional tie or a bond to that and everything else is okay. Well, you know, it's better or, you know, it's not quite the same, but that's my love is fourth edition. You know, for me, I love second edition. That's where I started. It's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, first edition was very light in my opinion, compared to what second edition is. You know, I I've <laughs> seen the red box. I've seen the early edition and it's really sparse um, mm-hmm. compared to what we see now. But yeah. it still was an amazing thing in its time. Um, I mean, if you watch Stranger Things, you, you can see them playing it. It's not very different from what we have other than we have a ton more monsters. We have a lot more mechanics and rules. We can really mm-hmm. expand on our, our characters and they have 
feats and they have skills and all these things that were pretty small back when yeah. You know, and that, that kind of brings me to the next kind of signpost that I've been thinking about through all of this. And, and let's talk a little bit about original Dungeons and Dragons, like, and, and even second edition. Um, I think that there's another signpost that you need to look for in an edition, which is it has evolved to the point as to be unrecognizable from its original form, yeah. right? First edition in particular, um, they were creating rules on the fly. If yeah. you go back and take original books, there are literally references to tables that do not exist and tables that lead to nothing. Um, that's a reality because they were making things up as they went and, you know, things got published without really good follow-up and then people were home ruling it. And one of the biggest motivators for a transition to second edition was that in all of the trade magazines and all of the communities that were being built, everybody had their home rules that were so dramatically different that you could not move geographical regions and play the same game. And they felt that that was really bad for players who were trying to learn because they came in expecting one experience and then they went somewhere else and got a completely different one. And so they wanted to systematize everything, bring it into one place, create more content. They were starting to see more of the push, though it hadn't really happened yet but some of the push towards story in second edition is where we start to see a lot of the things like Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and things like that starting to exist. And the same thing happened from the beginning of second edition to the beginning of third edition. Second edition, while considerably more robust than, than original D&D, still went through huge periods of transformation as all of the intellectual property grew, as it began to gain more insight, right? Do you remember what that transition from second to third was like? Yeah, I mean, so this is the thing. So you're right. Second edition, and this is another reason I love second edition, is because there were all these other worlds you can explore. Hmm. Third edition, you started seeing those worlds disappear. Hmm. Now, yes, they had, a, they had one book for Dark Sun. They had one book for Dragonlance. Um, they had a couple of books, well, more than a couple, for Forgotten Realms. Um, and then we moved to 3.5 and those books started disappearing. You know, th it's like they're gone. We get the mm -hmm. fourth edition. All we're in is Forgotten Realms. We get the fifth edition, the same thing. Um, that was the biggest thing I feel like we lost, um, let alone from second edition to third edition. In second edition, you could go out and buy books. Uh, you know, they were, they were softback books. But you could buy a book just specifically for extra stuff for your character class. Like mm -hmm. I have a box that has, I have a book just for psionists. I have a book just for rogues, for paladins, for mages. And these were things that you could, you know, these were spells and abilities and feats and all these things that you could add to your character beyond what the regular books offered. Moving to third edition, those were gone. The only way to get additional content like that was to get additional books that they put out, just like they're doing with fifth edition. It would be amazing if they put out a book that was just all rogues, mm. you know, and it was all these different arch, you know, archetypes or subclasses and different abilities specifically for ro rogues. Um, but instead, it's it's split out across all these various books. Um, so if you love playing rogues, if you want different rogue subclasses and archetypes and that, you have to get all these books. Or the same with a mage, or a sorcerer, or a paladin, or whatever. Um, so that's something I definitely felt like was lost. The other thing I mm -hmm. felt was lost is in so second edition or advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you had to have specific stat blocks to be certain classes. Um, that just went away. Third edition just went, nope, you can be whatever you want. You could be dumb as an ox and still be a paladin or a wizard. And it just, that always felt really foreign to me you know mm. wizards are super intelligent and you have to have that high intelligence um you know a fighter has to be strong i do get the reasoning for it because like you know this allows you to create a fighter that is weak that has mm. this challenge to overcome but you have to be a really good player to be able to pull that off there there's a I've had some players that have like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to not, I'm going to put my, my seven in my strength and I'm going to be a fighter. 
Mm-hmm. And then they, I mean, they don't play on that. If you want to do that, fine, awesome, do it. But play that character. I mean, play mm-hmm. to that that flaw, that that weakness. Um, there's a way to do it and make the game fun instead of it becoming this soul crushing game because you got the one fighter that's always rushing in and he can't even swing a sword right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I offer maybe I don't think it's necessarily a contrasting or a contrary opinion at the very least, but a contrasting okay. opinion. Contrasting or contrary. That's what we want. It's true, but you know, I don't like picking fights without Krebs here because it's <laughs> just, you know, I need somebody to take my side. Oh, but anyway. it's only you and I, so that's okay. <laughs> Here, here. So Star Wars bucket could take your side. Fair enough. Fair enough. So one of the one of the things that I feel like is is the critical difference between second edition and third edition that you've kind of danced around a little bit is that second edition felt like it was about exploring worlds and rule sets and ideas conceptually. Yes. Third edition felt like it was all about the classes and the characters, even though at the beginning that standardization watered down a lot of classes. By the time that 3.5 came out, the amount of content that had been created with specialized feats and equipment and spells even and ancestries and all kinds of things was was huge. Um, And by the end of 3.5, it was even bigger. Um, I have a Sionesis book from, from, I think it's third. It might've been three, five. Um, it was, I, I believe it's third. I, I have it too. I, I love Sion. Yeah. And that's the. I don't have a true Sionis class. And I wish we did. I love that, that, that class. I love that type of character. But, but what I do think is kind of, notable and notably missing from third edition and and future editions particularly that I do think I'd love to see and I don't want to jump too far ahead because it's the tail end of the conversation is being able to explore a lot of different worlds and alternate rule sets Mm -hmm. right second edition had that little bit of charm because as you explored new rule uh, new worlds and found new classes you had to build a particular way for some of those rule sets to work. Like they just literally could not function without it. Um, 3.5 in particular incentivized you to build well, um, but still provided tools to allow you to build weird wonky things. Um, But it in the process homogenized a lot of the things that made the worlds of second edition so fun to be in. Well, and, and the other thing is like second edition, you could be level 20 and still get your butt kicked. Mm-hmm. Third edition, by the time you hit level 20, your character is so built because of feats and skills and all these other things that literally you can sneeze and kill something, it, it felt like. Yeah. At level 20 in third edition, you're a demigod. Yeah, you are. You're, you're super OP. I mean, and even so... Um, second edition had a character called epic character and that was from level 20 to i think 35 or something like that Hmm. and you could keep progressing because you could still easily die a dragon could swoop in and still kill you even being that strong you know unless you really really worked at power gaming and building your character you could still get your butt kicked i mean i remember uh, there was a, a player in my group, he was level 20, and he died from a mistake. A simple mistake killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was still a deadly game, even at that high of a level. Nowadays, it just seems like you get up there. I, I, I hate saying this, but most games I've played in, by the time we hit level 11 or 12, everyone's getting bored. They're no longer enjoying the game because every you know they walk into a cave and they slaughter everything Hmm. because of the you know the way the characters stack and build um and it's really frustrating because i would love to be in a game that lasts i want to hit level 20 i want to be able to get to that point and fight some epic deity or 
demon or whatever. Mm-hmm. But everyone gets really bored because there's no challenge there unless they're being thrown against uber monsters. And that gets boring and that keeps coming at you. Mm-hmm. How many times can you, you know, do you run into a dragon uh, and kill it? How many times do you have to face a demon and kill it? Because that's about what it gets to. The only way you're actually going to have a challenge anymore. Yeah. Which, which is frustrating. I, I totally agree. And I think that brings me to the final signpost that I want to point out as part of this conversation, which is you might be in need of a new edition or a recodification yeah. if you have painted yourself into a corner mechanically, yeah. which I do believe was the tolling of 3.5 because of exactly what you were describing. There was now so much content that was so character and power focused that higher levels became extremely difficult for a normal GM to run and for a normal player to enjoy. Yeah. Um, it, it really took some, some specialized tables and, and, and that's my experience as well. I, I don't think that I'm a savant when it comes to the mechanics of D and D or anything like that, but I'm a pretty reasonable GM. I yeah. think I do a good job. And I've played in groups with GMs that they only GM high-level campaigns because it's the only thing that is challenging enough for them as an individual to run and still keep interesting. Um, but it's something that I struggle with. And, and I think that that is both one of the reasons that 3.5 is so beloved, but also why there was a half of the room that was like, no, we really got to hit a refresh here. We got to do something completely different because we've kept building on this system to the point that now it's cracking. Um, So I do want to talk about, you know, two other systems before we come back to 5.5. One that's an immediate springboard off of this Pathfinder, right? Which I brought up earlier, 3.75. That was one of the stated objectives um, was that characters through level 20 need to feel meaningful. Um, and I've been engaged in a, uh, in a Pathfinder uh, campaign right now that's been going on for a year and a half. It's the longest I've ever been a player. It's fantastic. Um, but we're playing through one of the Pathfinder adventure paths that's designed to take a character all the way from one to 20 over the course of a story. There are some times in story elements really that feel grindy, but as a character, I still feel like every time I level up, it's exciting and neat. And that was one of the things that that I love about Pathfinder and why I prefer it to 3.5 for precisely that reason. So, you know, what is your opinion with the new second edition Pathfinder? Because literally, I, mm. Pathfinder, I have the books. I'll mm-hmm. I have the books, but I have never played the game. Other yeah. than, you know, there's been a couple I have at Gen Con, but I have never sat down and played the game with a gaming group. Um, so I have never got to experience that. Yes, it's 3-5, um, mm-hmm. but I've never had, I have so many of the books, but I've, I, I've never wanted to run it. I've never wanted, or I've never found a group that is like, hey, let's play this system. I would love to, but then, mm-hmm. you know, then they they throw a second edition, the second edition. I don't even want to yeah. touch it because I haven't heard good things about it. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, the transition between 3.5 and 4 is similar in some regards to Pathfinder first edition and second edition. I don't believe it is nearly as extreme. It's really, really not. Um, but I do think that there was a recognition in the industry, um, even from the people at Paizo in Pathfinder, um, that the number crunchy systems that were popular pre-DSL, for lack of a better timeline, were not as approachable to gamers in the world of, for lack of a better term, pop assimilation right? There was, with the advent of the internet came this huge influx and awareness of geek culture and nerd culture and trying to do some of these things that, hey, you know, that actually sounds kind of fun sitting around a table telling stories with my friends. Um, But one of the things that allowed 
3.5 to be so excellent and Pathfinder to be so excellent was that their, the, the culture of the time made it so that the only way that you were learning those kinds of games was at a table with other players, usually one or two of whom were experienced enough to be able to teach you the mechanics of the game, which created in its own way, a lot of shortcuts to learning the parlance and figuring out how to navigate the books and things like that. In the age of the internet, um, where anybody can pull anything up on their phone and navigate through, the way that people learned games began to change. And there were more instances of random groups of five people just wanting to get together and learn how to play a role-playing game. And things like the Pathfinder beginner box or even the Dungeons and Dragons beginner box or the essentials kit, which I consider to be far superior to the beginner box, but still not all the way there. They provide a simplified experience that doesn't actually take you 100% of the way to playing the full game, which is a big, big problem. And so with that, they were recognizing a number of the biggest problems that new players were running into and wanted to try to fix those. But I do think that they also fell into the trap that fourth edition did of let's do something completely different. Um, there are a number of things about second edition that I love. And I also, full disclaimer, I have not actually played second edition in a couple of years. I did a lot of the initial testing for it and was there for the release. But after trying to play it a little bit, I just find, found myself going back and playing first edition Pathfinder again. Um, but there are a couple of mechanics that I had already started implementing in one way or another as a professional GM that made its way into Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Most notably, one of the biggest things that I am absolutely amazed that I haven't seen widely adopted elsewhere is action economy. Um, the idea that you, know, you have three action points on your turn and you can use those however you want. But some things take more action points than others. If you're casting your big bad ultimate spell, it's probably going to take three action points because it represents the amount of time and effort and energy that it's going to take for you to do that spell, right? But if you want to run three times or, or walk three times, you can do it, right? If you want to walk once and swing your weapon twice, as long as your weapon attack only takes one action point, you can do it, which is a brand new player that's substantially easier to understand, but it's also easier for a GM to explain what to do than, well, you have a standard action, but you also have a move action. Oh, don't forget your bonus actions. Oh, and there are sometimes reactions and you can hold your action, which means that you can do some things, but not other things. It, it just gets a little bit weird. Um, but the action economy in Pathfinder is, is elegant and clean and straightforward, and I love it. Um, there are a number of other smaller mechanics that, that I do think shine through, but not enough to lift the entire system. And in an effort to try to break away from the SRD, I, I think that they fell into the same trap as fourth edition. And so for a lot of enfranchised players, it didn't really feel like home. And for a lot of new players, it was still too crunchy, but fifth edition was there and it was really accessible and easy to understand. So a lot of players went back to fifth edition. Um, and that's kind of the divide that that fell down. I do think that there is hope for Pathfinder still. And I do think that eventually a third edition is, is going to come. And I think it's going to find a happy medium. I could see the pendulum swinging back. Um, but I, I do agree that that initial assessment is there. Mm -hmm. um, there is another system though that I do want to bring up that funnily enough is also receiving an update which is Fantasy Flight's Star Wars role-playing game. Um, you know, Star Wars TTRPGs have been coming out since the 80s, um, including uh, Wizards of the Coast did a D20-based system for a while that was reasonably well-received. It was interesting, but, uh, but really the best-received Star Wars TTRPG to date was Fantasy Flight's Edge of the Empire that came out in 2012. I don't and know. it is neat. West, the West End Games D D six system. It was. It's pretty awesome. It's good. It is a good system, but it was not publicly received well. I know. Right, like Edge of the Empire, and and the two sequels, Force and Destiny, and um, Age of Rebellion. Right, like 
they're a cohesive system and they're neat and they do enough things differently from traditional D20 systems without becoming foreign to players, which I think well, is really good. So yet again, I feel like I'm the oldie in the new, the old end is, yes, I played the old West end game one. I did play the Wizards uh, version. The Wizards version had a lot. They had a yeah. lot of great material, including an entire book dedicated to Knights of the Old Republic, you know, the game from the Xbox. So I got to play, mm-hmm. you know, I had stats and everything for Darth Revan, my favorite Star Wars character. Yet I have not seen that from, from Fantasy Flight yet. However, mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight does have a pretty solid game. They do. My only frustration with said game is their dice mechanic. It really bugs me. It re I really struggle with it. And I know Explain that why well, it comes from the fact that I am used to game systems where I'm rolling dice and I have numbers. Mm. Game system does not have numbers. It's all symbol based. And it really, I really struggle with trying to figure out figure it out because I'm used to seeing numbers and I count up a total and I have my total and I have to compare it to this total to see if, if I succeed. And now in the fantasy flight one, I don't have that. It's, I, I have all these symbols and they have to compare to these other symbols. And it just, again, I have all the books, but I don't play it. And it's because of the dice. Interesting. So for those of you who haven't played the game, I do want to touch on that really quick. Um, the, 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 one of the biggest features of this game, um, and it was the first role-playing game that Fantasy Flight put out, is that it does use an alternate dice system that instead of using numbers or trying to calculate against stats, right? Your stats tell you how many and what kind of dice you are able to roll. Those dice have pips that indicate successes and failures and advantages and disadvantages. And it is possible for you to succeed with disadvantage or fail with advantage. Um, which as a storytelling tool is very interesting to me. Um, But for a player who is used to, here's my number, here's your number, whoever's higher number wins, that can definitely be uh, at the very least a, 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 a sympathetic hurdle to overcome where you are used to doing things a particular way and changing your mindset around that. Yeah. You know, it is hard. Um, But what I will say, the good news for you, Dan, is that that was their first RPG. It came out a decade ago. And just a week or two ago here, it was announced that they are, in fact, releasing a brand new role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game. It's officially licensed from Disney, cleared through their Edge Studio, which has produced Genesis, a fantastic game. Um on Free RPG Day a couple of weeks ago, we got to preview the Twilight Imperium role-playing game that's utilizing the Genesis system. That has been fantastic. It's got me really excited for a few reasons. The first is, is that I'm looking forward to updating with a whole bunch of current content, seeing what's going forward. As you mentioned before the show, you know Disney's putting emphasis on the High Republic, and I'd love to see some of that come back because when Disney took over the Star Wars license after the role-playing game had come out, it stopped production on new content, which sucked. Um, but the other thing that that I'm really excited about here is that if it does use the Genesis system, that opens up a lot of possibilities for us as storytellers and character designers. Because if it all works under the same general system, even if it isn't translating one-to-one, that does mean that there's an analogous mechanic somewhere for building any kind of character that we want to build, Um, which means that maybe there's something that exists in the Twilight Imperium role-playing game that doesn't exist yet in the Star Wars game. We can port that over and it translates fairly cleanly. It also makes it so that if I'm with a group of players who loves jumping between many types of stories and franchises, instead of always being stuck in fantasy or always being stuck in sci-fi, we've got options because if we all understand the system and what's going on, I honestly think that's one of the things that made the Star Wars role-playing game from Wizards shine was that it used a D20 system, which meant it was easy for players to jump back and forth between different genres. Well, and, and what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that, so I have hopes. I do mm-hmm. have hopes. I love Star Wars. I don't know much about the Genesis system. So does it use, 
the the standard role playing dice? That's question one. No. Okay. So that drives me nuts, and this is why. Because with you know the Star Wars game, if I forgot my dice, I mm-hmm. can just you know right now with the, the the current Star Wars system as it is, you have to have those special dice. If I show up to a game, I can't just pick up a D twenty and a D ten of you know that that may someone has a whole bucket of and play. I have to have only those dice. That drives me nuts um, because, you know, and maybe if I played it more, I, I would get used to the symbols and really get into it. But that's what really frustrates me is because most game systems out there, they're dice. They have numbers, you go. And if you forget, you know, let's say that the, you know, the old West End game, if you forgot your, your dice, you could go grab a handful of someone else's D6s and still play. Mm-hmm. With the new fan, you know, fantasy flight system, the way they have it, you can't do that. Um, if you don't have those special dice, you just can't roll. Um, but we'll see. I mean, yes, I'm a little stuck in my way, but maybe if I have the opportunity to play it more than I, I have with you know the other Star Wars, and that's the other thing is you know they quit producing content, so it's just like no one else was really playing. Yeah. Uh, maybe I would have had more opportunities to play and like, okay, maybe I could, yeah, this isn't so bad. Um, but that is the problem I, I see with a lot of these games that do end up having specialty dice is the second they quit producing stuff, people go back to something else that are, that uses normal dice. Mm-hmm. So there are two, two things that'll help you on that front, which is that um, the, the Genesis dice have been in production for a long time. There's a lot of copies out in the wild, and they've also tried to utilize versions of those Genesis dice for other games. Um, so most notably, if you play X-Wing, if you play Armada, um, those utilize some of the Genesis dice, um, which makes it very easy, especially to build low-level characters because you have what you need there. Um, but the other thing is that they've done something very smart, which is knowing that players are going to have to get used to the system and are going to want to decide whether or not they want to buy actual real honest to goodness dice or not. They have a digital dice roller that's available, ready to go at all times. All right. I'm, I'm looking at the Genesis dice. I already hate them. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's, it's this almost the same as the dice with the system. The, yes. The Star Wars. So yeah, they, they, they have said that there will be stylized dice for different systems coming out. The generic Genesis role-playing dice are designed to be that generic because they don't know which worlds you're going to be playing in in a given day. But, you know, there are dice manufacturers in the world who might consider making really cool dice for favorite games and factions and things like that. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there'll be options in terms of customization there for people who do want a physical dice rolling experience. Um, and moreover, even though you can copyright individual symbols or trademark particular symbols, you can in very rare instances patent dice layouts and things like that. I don't know that that exists for this which means that if you want to 3D print your own versions, as far as I know, this is not me making any type of legal claim on the behalf of DCR or its constituents or anything else. I think you got some options out there. At least I've seen a lot of them on Thingiverse and things like that. So that feels pretty nice. But the bigger thing is that the advantage to the Genesis system, which started as Edge of the Empire and has since evolved to something much bigger, is that it is a narrative role-playing system in which you are not explicitly focused on specific combat outcomes and tracking hit points and doing a lot of the heavy lifting that is annoying to new players. It's more about telling the story collaboratively. There are moments in, in which the players are openly invited to describe, say what happens, add to the story in a meaningful way because of those advantages and disadvantages and moments in which you're able to create narrative tension and growth based on those things. And that excites me. 
Um, but I'm also excited just to get more Star Wars content, plainly, uh, to see what they can do now with a decade of experience from where Edge of the Empire was, which was already a really great system. Uh, and, and that would be nice to see. But, you know, again, you know, you're rolling a set of dice and you have a sun symbol for success, an X for failure, an arrow for advantage, some weird circle with markings for a threat. You have a circle for the next threat for despair and then a circle with a sunburst for triumph. And it's like, okay, so what does all that mean? You know, mm. what do all those things mean? Yes, success and failure, that's pretty simple. You know, if you have more of those, you know, more successes than a failure, yeah. But what happens when you have two successes, two failures, a threat, one advantage, one triumph, and one despair in your role. What does that mean? So technically what you just described is impossible, but okay. um, all that, all that happens is you count corresponding symbols and they cancel each other out. If there is more of one than the other, that oh. determines what the result is in the neutral. It's a wash, just like as if you rolled an 18 and I rolled an 18. It's the same thing. All right. Well, anyway, I'm learning well, something not. already. No, that's good. That's good. I'm learning something already with it because like the couple times I played, I would pose that question and my, my, you know, the GM would like, I don't know, I guess we'll just figure it out when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing was um, with, uh, with, with edge of the empire, um, you have these fate tokens, mm -hmm. right? Um, that some number exists just because there's players, but you can also flip them back and forth. And the, both the GM and the players can spend them to manipulate events, yeah. right? Earn re-rolls or try to get something to go their way. Yeah. Um, and and I, just, I just love that. Um, and that's one of the other things that, that can happen with dice. Um, as Edge of the Empire matured, especially as they introduced um, Force and Destiny, there became a lot more ways for players to actually spend successes and failures um, and, and utilize dice better, um, which is one of the things that has ported into Genesis from what I understand. And that's part of what excites me too. That'll be good. I mean, there's several game systems I play where you, you get like chips, say, mm -hmm. say three, and you can use those at any time. And those you can use that to re-roll or to change a die roll uh, you know, and just because you burn those and, and there's a way to earn those back, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and I like that. Mechanic. I definitely like that mechanic. I actually, I put that in my, when I play D and D, um, because I feel like that's a fair mechanic because that could be, you know, destiny, fate, whatever you want to call it is intervening mm -hmm. and you only have so much. And then when you burn those off, you have to hope that you earn enough fate or whatever back. Yeah. To be able to do that. I like that mechanic. So if that mechanic's in there, that, that would be good. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. I probably will have a different opinion if I was able to play with a decent GM and play the system more and get used to the way it works. Fine. You're uh, pressing me up against a wall. I guess, I guess we'll finally play edge of the empire. Like we've been threatening for four years now. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> And that's 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 part of the problem i will admit mm. that is part of the problem why i don't like the dice is because i don't fully understand them and i haven't had the opportunity to really play with them where the other dice standard dice i played with for the last 30 years so of course I'm instead you just get to be that. confused about what page to turn to and what table and what does this keyword mean but it's okay i'm gonna drop that Those we don't have I'm pretty solid about because i know where they're at and we'll just go look in. Well, you do now, but put yourself back into the shoes of a brand new player who just wants to show up and tell stories with their friends. Yeah, no, I, I, I do remember young me playing for the first time. And, yeah. and I had the audacity as a first time player to want to play a wizard. Yeah. I, that's the first character I ever played was a wizard. And it was a nightmare. Like, because well, my DM's like, so what spells did you memorize? I'm like, I'm supposed to memorize spells? What? Yeah. And, and, and so, and, and doing that without the context of 30 years of role-playing experience to make it up if something goes wrong or you don't know a rule or being able to navigate the politics at a brand new table of players of, hey, let's just figure out what we want to do in this situation. Those are learned skills. 
Yeah, like, and, and so anyway, but that's not what we're here to debate. I also know that we're just about out of time. Yes. So what I would like to do is ask, um, and, and this may be a little bit hard to put you on the spot, but Ooh, knowing that 5.5 is coming, what is the biggest thing that you would love to see collated into the core rulebook or five, updated? Five. Mm -hmm. Either yeah. either collated in or updated to be more meaningful. Honestly, that would be super easy. Like I've already mentioned it. I would love sci a psionic class. I would love to see psionics brought back into the game. That is something that they ripped out of there and it's just sort of in there. We have some subclasses with some psionic type abilities, but I want a full on hardcore psionicist. I think that would be amazing. I mean, yeah, if you've read any of Bob Salvatore's books, there's a psionicist in there, Kimura Boldra, and he is amazing. The kinetic barrier ability that he has where he can put it on someone and someone takes a beating and then he just, and it gets to a point where you have to release the energy or all of that, those attacks finally go towards you and you touch someone and all of those attacks, all that damage, you know, hundreds of points of damage go right into that target in that second. And there's mm -hmm. nothing to defend against it. That's just amazing. Let alone all the other abilities, um, you know, being tell, you know, being able to walk through walls, being able to speak to other people through their mind, read people's minds. Um, I love that class. That would be something amazing I would love to see in 5.5. Five. Neat. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit and do a concrete mechanic and a non-concrete mechanic. My, my non-concrete mechanic kind of alludes to something that we were talking about earlier, which is I want an officially sanctioned set of alternate rules. Um, specifically the ones that I would love to see. I would love for alignments to have an alternate rule set that we can do in a better way. I would love to see ancestries receive official rule set support that, that work a little bit differently and help to differentiate what is biological versus cultural versus, mm -hmm. you know, distinct to my particular anatomy, things like that. Yeah. Um, that that's less concrete. The concrete one um, that I think is, has, it's got to come, but I'm excited to see what it is. And if it isn't already being worked on, this is my official ask. I want to see more stuff done with advantage and disadvantage. I think that that is one of the best mechanics to come out of fifth edition, even though it was something that a lot of players were already doing intuitively, codifying it in a way that was meaningful and easy to communicate was great. I just want to see more opportunities to use advantage or purposefully gain disadvantage or purposefully lose advantage to do something. I think that'd be really neat to see. I, I agree. It's way too open. I would love to see it fine-tuned um, and, you know, be able to see where, you know, for example, if you're fighting a colossal dragon, in my opinion, you should always be at disadvantage. I don't care mm. what magic spells or whatever. It's so huge. You know, it's, it, you're not going to do much damage to it, really. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be hard to attack it in the right spot because it's so well armored. And it should have advantage because it's so massive. It, you know, just flicking its pinky finger, it's going to hit you because it's so big. I think they need some of those type of rules, especially with the larger the creature gets. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I think there should be other opportunities for advantage and disadvantage that are a little bit more well-defined, especially when using skills or in certain situations. Um, and I know a lot of that, they're just kind of, they left it the way they are, so it's up to the GM to do. But I still think there are times where the player and the GM don't see eye to eye on that. Mm -hmm. and they need a little bit more clarification. Uh, I can dig it. Yeah. Either way, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm super excited to see what comes out in 2024 with 5.5 or whatever they decide they want to call it. And I'm also excited to see what happens with this new Star Wars role-playing game, Dungeon Crawlers. If you have any role-playing games that you are looking forward to receiving a new edition or who have recently within the last five years received a new edition that you think is worth reviewing and talking about, let us know. And Dan, I'm going to pass it to you. Well, all right. Well, speaking of new editions, you should definitely go to Kickstarter um check out sky raiders of arabex 
So we will be talking with Tracy Hickman, who is, and his wonderful wife, Lara, and whoever else he's going to be bringing because they have started their Kickstarter for this. This is a brand new world. Um, and it is amazing. Um, so jump on the Kickstarter, support it, come back next week to check out and hear more. If you want to wait till after next week, we're not, we won't blame you, but we're pretty excited about this already. Just knowing what we know that you're probably going to love it without even hearing the interview. But with that said, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, so come back next week. We'll have Tracy and Laura Hickman on the show uh, to talk about their, their new game system. They're, they're putting, or not game system, game world, excuse me. Um, Sky Raiders of Arabex. And I mean, I'm excited. But with that said, we'll catch you next time. And Dungeon Crawlers, whether it's the first edition or the fifth edition or the fifth and a half edition, Tell your story, no matter what may come. And always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Dungeon Crawler.